Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group. Real Hi, you road to growth listeners. Today, I have a, a man that used to chase alligators and eat a lot of pizza. Uh, but that's not what we're having on the podcast. I could probably talk to him about days uh, eating pizza. I love pizza. We're talking to him about his his business is financially simple, uh, where he helps business owners grow it up. The idea where they can actually sell it. Thank you, Justin, for being here. Thanks, man, for having me, brother. Yeah, man. So, what's your favorite style of pizza? I got. I, you know, I told myself that I wouldn't talk about it, but I got to ask. Got to throw it out there first. You know, I've had New York and I've had Chicago, and if I had to go between those two styles, I would go with the New York pizza. A uh, little, little less filling. Yeah, you know, I I don't like the the thickness of the Chicago. I mean, it tastes good. Mm-hmm. If I had my rather's, it's a thin crust meat pizza, which you when you hold it up, just the tip starts to bend down just a little bit. It has a good little crispness to it. That's my favorite absolute pizza out there, man. Oh my gosh, man! If, if you're listening right now and it's uh, maybe <laughs> after eleven o'clock, maybe noon, then you go enjoy yourself a pizza. That's probably yeah. where my cutoff is. Well, you just can't have pineapple on pizza. You see, I believe that's a sin. You cannot put pineapple on pizza. It doesn't belong there. And if you think I'm wrong, you're not. I'm right on that one. I've already put it out to the polls on Twitter, um, put it out there on LinkedIn. And every single time it comes back, that pineapple does not belong on pizza. I I agree with you. Now, we could do this all day long, but we're here to talk about about you and your, your business. If let's say you're in an elevator, right, with someone else, how would you describe what you do, what your company does? Sure. We're right on the elevator. Someone says, Hey, man, what is it you do for a living? I'll say, You know what? We teach business owners how to rock it out. Our, go- our job is to show business owners that they can double their net worth over three to five years. You can build a business that you can sell for maximum profit, walk away, and live the American dream. The reason why you got into business. Mm, wow. Did you? always have this idea was a young Justin thinking about basically that American dream at a young age. <laughs> you know what? Someone asked me this the other day, I was on TV somewhere and they said, Hey, what was your aspiration as a kid? I said, I want to run on the back of the trash truck. I always thought it'd be great to run the back of the trash truck until I was 15. My dad said, no, you're going to be a business owner. So the story goes is that he said, you know, if you don't have a job by Friday, don't come home at age 15. My dad was an old country boy, better, got better, barely got out of high school. And we ended up uh, build, cutting grass and that led into my first job. I ended up selling that business when I was 21, 22, after I met my wife from Tennessee. I grew up in South Georgia, as you mentioned in the introduction, where alligators are everywhere. And uh, I ended up selling my first business, moved up here to Tennessee, and since then have sold three, uh, two other businesses. And currently, as of today, own three businesses that who know, you never know, they could sell in the next year or so. <sighs> What what was your bad your dad's background? He just old country boy man. He barely got out of high school. Uh, not trying to not trying to wish him ill or anything, but just an old just common sense. You ever met those people that just are have a down to earth common sense type of approach to thing? Maybe they didn't go to college and have that book smart type of mentality. But he said, you know, son, I, I want you to learn to work for yourself. Um, whenever I whenever I was fifteen, he said, son, if you don't get a job on Friday, don't come home. I, I kind of laugh about that now, but at the time, what he was trying to teach me, Vinny, was um, I can make more working for myself than I can working for the man. So after a week of trying to find a job, and he had three rules, I can't work for anybody that knows him, I can't work fast food, and I can't work for a grocery store. And in a small town with the last name of Goodbread, everybody knew my dad. 
So I ended up cutting grass for this man by the name Mr. Brown. And Mr. Brown paid me 40 bucks. Now, this is back in 1994, 3, 2, somewhere in that range. I mean, a long time ago, right? Back in the 90s. Um, he paid me like 40 bucks, Vinny, to cut his grass in the hot summer South Georgia sunshine. I think it took me two hours. And I come, my dad comes home from work and um, worked at the Port Authority, loading these ships with corn and grain, carrying them all overseas there in the ocean. And um, I'm, I'm cleaned up. I'm sitting on the front steps and dad walks in. He said, hey, it looks like you got a job. I said, yes, sir. I made some money today. It's how much you make. I made 40 bucks. What'd you do? Well, I cut this man named Mr. Brown's grass down the road, paid me 40 bucks. He said, how long did it take? It took two hours. He goes, okay, sit down. I want to teach you something. Man, Vinny, that was the best lesson I ever got in my life. He looked at me and he said, Justin, I've been working all day for the man. I didn't go to college. Couldn't. I'm not that smart. I know how to work. He's, he was a hard worker, man. He, Vinny, my dad knew how to work. And he said, I want you to listen to me. You just made more in two hours than I made all day long. Hmm. You just made at the age of 15, you know, time and inflation, all that stuff. He said, you just made at the age of 15 more cash than I did. You're going to take home more money than I did working all day long. So son, I want you to learn this, that if you learn to work for yourself and be a business owner, and then he made the statement that Sam Walton, I found out, made the statement. He said, if you learn to market to the masses, you will live in the classes. But son, I've lived in the, I've worked in the classes all my life. And so I'm just part of the masses. Hmm. And so Vinny, as, as a 15 year old, my dad said, son, learn business. And so since that date, to my knowledge, I've never received a W-2 in my life. So I'm almost 30 years later, been a business owner, and it's been a journey. It'll wear you out someday. Some days you'll get a punch in the gut. You'll find yourself on the ground begging for mercy. But other days it's like, man, what an opportunity to help and influence people. When you're 15 years old, I bet there's a lot of 15-year-olds that have listened. I mean, listening here or someone that has a kid that's 15 years old, and you try to tell them, hey, clean your room. Okay, whatever. I'm not going to do that. I mean, at a 15 years old, what pushed you to listen to your dad when he told you, hey, go get a job today? Well, it was probably that last statement. He said, son, go get a job, have a job on Friday or don't come home. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, seriously, my dad, you know, he was an old country boy. My mom actually graduated with a master's in nursing. And so she was the book smart one of the family, if I put that in air quotes out there, right? And they were, they had been homeschooling us. So I was the weird kid right back in the day that I'd go up to the door that said, pull on it. And I'd push it because I was stupid. So they were homeschooling us and he was trying to, and I'm, I'm laughing friends. For, so that wasn't a shot in the dark. I'm picking on myself a lot. Um, but Vinny, what he taught us was the value of good work. He would say, often son, he would say, sons, you're a good bread. A couple of things I want you to learn. First of all, that name means a lot and you can only lose it once. And no one will ever forget the name good bread. And he'd also made the statement, he'd say, son, no one ever outworks a good bread. I don't care who they are. You better be the hardest working man on that job. And that was what his dad had instilled in him was this quality and this care of hard work. So we grew up in the country and we worked. We worked hard. It wasn't anything for us to split wood or, or, or shovel dirt or do whatever it took around the, around the homestead there. And whenever he said at age 15, hey, I want you to have a job or don't come home. What he realized by putting the restrictions on saying, you can't work for anybody who knows me. Now, in a small town, the last name of Goodbread, that's very few people. And you can't work fast food and you can't work grocery store. He was taking away the very things that so many of my friends who were just now wanting to drive and get jobs were doing. 
So he was pushing us to think. I, I'm, one of my favorite books out there is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And in that book, the very first chapter is pivotal. If you've never read it, I challenge you to read chapter one. It's pivotal. It'll change your life. And chapter one, the lesson is the rich don't work for money. And that's what my dad, in his high school educated way, and my mom's educated way was to say, you and your brother and your sister, you can change the world by not falling in with the masses. You can do something. And so my dad, he worked. My mom took a huge pay cut whenever I was 15 and 16 and taught my brother, who's about four years younger than me and I, how to actually do a business. She, they, cut, they cut their lifestyle down, Vinny. I mean, I'm looking at it now. We, we barely got by, but what they were investing in was us. They were investing in us kids. So I, my challenge is if there's a parent out there that has kids my age, my kid's age, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, let's teach them financial literacy. Let's teach them what it means to be a business owner. What, here's what I'm doing myself right now. And I've got credentials at the Wazoo. I'm a top 100 financial advisor in the country. Got credentials everywhere. But what I'm using is I use Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow game. And we play that around the house and we're teaching them financial literacy at age 15. In fact, it's so funny, Vinny. I know we got to go to another question, but you'll love this. So I'm teaching my kids. My, my youngest is 10 and I'm saying, hey, Jude, his name is Jude. And I said, hey, Jude. Um, so an asset is something which pays you money, like a stock portfolio or a real estate portfolio or a business that you can don't have to go and work in. And a liability is something which takes money from you. He goes, you mean like me, Danny, a kid takes money? I said, yeah, like you, you're a liability. And we joke and we laugh and everything. Well, here he is in his classroom and another one of his cohorts in his classroom is bragging about that he wants a new iPad. And my 10-year-old goes, is that an asset or a liability? Is it going to pay you money or is it going to cost you money? See, that's a 10-year-old now learning basic principles, many that people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s have never even heard. And so if you have kids, it's now's the time for us to influence them, much like my country folks did to me. Now you're you're building your lawn mowing business, right? I'm guessing before you sold you, you brought on other uh, employees and started hiring other people, correct? Yeah, I had a mess on my hands. I felt like a over overpaid or underpaid babysitter is what I felt like. I don't remember how many employees. I think we got to 42 employees at one time. We had millions of dollars in revenue. And I sold it when I was, I think, 21. What was what was your technique, I guess, of bringing on other employees? What was the process you had to learn through and actually bringing on other people? Because it's a difference between you being a hustler and doing yourself compared to motivating other people to take it to the next level. Man, way back then, this is 20 years, 30 years ago, back then it was money was a motivator and we were dealing with entry level positions in the hot summer heat of South Georgia. So to find somebody, I mean, it wasn't uncommon for us to go down to the temp office and find somebody who was on a temp system that worked hard and they offered him employment. And you just had a high turnover business and, and that type of industry is still somewhat plagued with that type of uh, turnover ratio. Now, today's world that I operate now, totally different. The advice that we give to business owners today, totally different now with the years of knowledge and experience I have. But back then, man, it was anything I can do. I was a hustler, could get the jobs, and I could secure the debt to buy the equipment. But um, I had to quickly, quickly learn that um, some people are good at their jobs. Some people don't give a flying flip. And I was trying to identify which ones were good and which ones didn't care. And then when did you know of, or think of the idea of actually selling the business? When did that come about? So my wife, um, Emily, is half Filipino. And if you know anything about the Filipino culture, they're a very tight-knit culture. 
she was born and raised in East Tennessee, where I now live. And I moved her right after we got married down to South Georgia. And South Georgia was an, it's, it's, at the time, it was integrated, but um, racism ran rampant. And, it, you know, I guess it's everywhere these days. We hear, we hear about it more regularly now than perhaps I have in my lifetime. But we were sitting in a small country church. And my wife sitting beside me, then her mother had come into town, which is full blooded Filipino, born in the Philippines. Uh, my, my wife's grandfather actually served in the American military as the army um, as a scout sniper during World War One and, and uh, a little bit of World War Two. And um, so I'm sitting here in church and my, my mother-in-law, who looks Filipino, speaks Filipino. Somebody in the church said something very racist. Very, I'll never forget the words, and I can't even say on the air as, as nasty as it was, and it shouldn't have happened. And I watched my wife crush beneath that statement. I was raised to love all people. I, I didn't know what racism was. I was I was not in a system, so to speak. And we have friends of every nationality, every color, every culture, every sex, every creed. But whenever I saw that, I watched the impact of racism first and foremost. So we got home that night and, I, and my wife is crushed. And I said, I'm not going to raise my kids in a, in a culture that this can happen. And she said, I'm done with South Georgia. Now, I'm not saying that South Georgia is bad. That's not at all. There's lots of parts around the country. Um, but that particular individual showed me an ugliness that I'd never seen before, ben, Benny. And so I said, look, there's no amount of money that's worth my wife's sanity or comfort. So we, I said, why don't we move back to East Tennessee Knoxville is a is a melting pot. People from all over the country move here. It's got a really large um, a Filipino uh, sect. It has a lot of Chinese, a, a lot of different people from all nationalities are here in East Tennessee because of the University of Tennessee. So I sold the business, not because of mon money, but I sold it because of family. What was... Okay, you have the idea, you're frustrated with where you're living because of the, the racism. The idea of selling it, though, right, was something, how did you find out the, even the ability to sell it? Where did you go to? What, what was the process like there? Yeah, I had brought on a partner into that company at some point, and I went to him one day who knew our family. He went to church with me. He knew the individual who said what was said, and I said, look, man, we're going to Tennessee. I, I want to sell my share of the business to you. Um, the process was simple. We knew the book value and I sold it for book value. Okay. Today, with what I know, it, I could have gotten a lot more money. But at the time, it didn't matter. The money didn't matter. My wife was just wrecked as a newlywed watching that happen and seeing a, an ugliness that I'd never seen before in my life. And he, it was like I just I would have walked away and given the business away just to go and start over again. In, in, in a world where my wife felt safe. When you're now, you move to a new area, start fresh, I'm guessing. What's the, the process like there? What, is it, oh, I'm really good at knowing the, the <laughs> landscaping business. I want to restart it. I mean, what was the process you're going through now? Yeah, great question. So we moved to East Tennessee. I enrolled in a uh, in a college during a master's degree just to have something to do. Remember, I sold it. I had a little bit of cash in hand. My wife secured a, a, a entry level job back here in Knoxville where she was born and raised. And um, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought about, hey, let's start a landscape company because I understood it. I understood the math. I knew the metrics of it. And I could do it. 
So I started doing some part-time jobs for people, putting in some things. And I found out that East Tennessee clay, the mountains here, rock, and you can't jump on a shovel and watch it go in the dirt. I mean, you have to have a pickaxe here. And that's a lot of work. And so I'm like, man, it's in the same as digging in beach sand. I don't know if I want to be doing this when I'm 50 years of age. So after about three, four, five months of actually making some good money, doing some part-time uh, landscape work, I'm all started another little business. Um, somebody called me from American Express Financial Advisors at the time. Now it's called Ameriprise, but at the time it was American Express Financial Advisors. And he said, hey, Justin, I was given your resume by somebody and I want to make a bet. I challenge you that if you can pass these three tests within 30 days, I'll give you, I think it was five or $10,000. Like, okay, well, I love to learn. I'm not dumb. So let me go and take some tests and I'll give some money. So I did. I took the uh, Series 7, the Series 66, and was an insurance test and passed them all within 30 days. And he was amazed because he had never given away on that bet any money to anybody. And those who may know the financial world, the Series 7 is a bugaboo. It's a tough test. Um, but I passed him all in 30 days and he gave me some money. I went to a training in Texas at a corporate office to learn what financial planning was. Didn't even want to do it, man. I didn't want to be a stockbroker or an insurance salesman. That's not who I, who I am or how I think. So with this training, I'm like, ah, okay, I can see financial planning as strategy. And I love strategizing. I love trying to figure out how to get from here to there. And Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Dave Ramsey's The Total Money Makeover, and all these things that were in my mind. And I'd already ran a business, and I knew finance. So come back to Knoxville, and the very day that I'm supposed to start working on the job, corporate comes in and shuts the American Express Financial Office down and said, hey, you're on your own. Go find something to do. <laughs> So here I am just barely passing some tests, had a little bit of uh, training and found myself working for a financial planning firm at the age of 23, doing some basic financial planning. When I say financial planning, meeting people, walking through and building a written financial plan that does projections and tax strategies and various things. Didn't know what I was doing, to be honest with you. Had supervisors over me and I've worked in that company for a year or two and then I was offered to join that company as a partner in that company, became the CEO of that company, and then went through a partnership divorce in that company. So here I am at the time, 27 years old, worth seven figures, watch seven figures go out the door in law fees and legal fees, go through a business divorce and find myself back in about 2009 um, with lots of education now, lots of time in the saddle saying, okay, let me start my own company. And so I started Heritage Investors in 2009, which is in existence still today. What was the difference, I guess, the second? Because the first time, how established was that the company that you joined into and became a partner in? Was it fairly established? Or? It wasn't. It was an entry-level position. It was, it was, they were just formed a new company. It wasn't established. It didn't have anything that I would expect now that I know what I'm doing 40, okay. 30 years later. What do you think you, you learned the second time, I guess, and growing the brand uh, that you wish you would have learned the first time or knew the first time? I think the, the biggest thing I took away from, the, from that partnership divorce was listen to your gut. You know, as an entrepreneur, if, if we're truly an entrepreneur and we're willing to charge hell with a water pistol, like so many of us are, right? I mean, we, we're used to getting kicked down, stepped on, walked in, just get back up and go. I love the I love the memes I see on social media with somebody pushing a rock up a mountain. That's the life of the entrepreneur. But oftentimes you can't quantify things. Sometimes you just feel it in your gut. And I learned at that point at the age of 29 that, that there's an intuition that you can't often even speak about. 
you just know something's there. And I think that particular position said, hey, I have to lean into my gut more and not try to worry about all the technical sometimes. No, the technical matters. It does. All the data points and everything else matters. But that was the biggest lesson. And since that time, every time I've listened to my guts, my conscience, whatever you want to say there, you know, Jimmy Crickets, right? I always let the contribute your guy. Every time I listen to that, I end up um, maybe not making always the best decisions, but I at least know that, hey, they're my decisions. The process of listening to your gut, is it, okay, I have a feeling about this. Do you write it down? Is it, I mean, like a um, like an old Western, just kind of shoot from the hip? What's that process like? For me, I'm a um, I'm an analytic, so I'm a, I'm I'm a very detailed individual. I'm a very dominant. If you look at me on a disc pro, uh, profile, I'm a high D, low C. That's who I am. So that's a very dominant person. It's very detailed. So for me, I, I like to run risk rewards analysis. I like to almost run a chess game for if this happens, go here. If that happens, go there. And so I'll run a decision tree. Oftentimes, and it's a big decision. I'll, I'll put a decision tree out. I'll put T-charts on a sheet of paper. And then I often listen to, in the art of the deal by, written by President Trump, he made this statement that I've impacted my life. And he said, get as much information as possible and delay your decision for as long as possible. So what I found is, is as I'm collecting that decisions and as I'm looking through that decision tree, if you will, or that T-chart, I can get it on, then I can delay the decision. Then once I make the decision, live with it good or bad, whatever the decision is, at that point, you may end up having a mess on your hand and fix it. But at some point, we have to make a decision and then we have to hold ourselves accountable for the decision that we made. It's our decision. I mean, it's no one else's fault. <laughs> this idea that, that, that there's blame, that we can blame everybody else. No, we're responsible for our own actions. And it's us, up, up, up to me to make decisions. Someone once said, we're the sum total of the choices that we've made in our life. And I think I agree with that more today than I did in the past. Now you built that brand. Uh, when did that company start coming to you working for doing speaking engagements and having more of a hyper focus, I guess, on businesses, helping them grow and expand? When did that come about? So Heritage Investor started out as a traditional financial planning firm. And I quickly discovered that there was an area of the marketplace that was so, so underutilized. I could not hire myself in Heritage Investors. In other words, the average financial firm out there says, unless you have a million dollars, two hundred fifty thousand, fifty thousand dollars of cash that you can bring us, and almost like we're beholding to them, like, hey, here's my money, make me rich. I mean, I, that just drives me crazy. What I realized is, business owners, we often don't have the money. We have this business. And in fact, um, statistically, eighty percent of our net worth is our business. The vast majority of the difference is our real estate, our house or other rental properties, because we business owners, we believe and I agree with this. We believe that we can control our destiny better than Wall Street can. Mm. And so I started thinking this way and then I started talking this way. And before long, I started attracting other business owners who think the way I think and who talk the way I think. And so I started Heritage Investors, which is a registered investment advisor. Um, only able to do um, securities in the states which register. There's some compliance things I have to say there. Um, and then I launched Heritage Business Advisors and Financially Simple, three different companies. Hmm. So what I did with these three companies is Financially Simple became my, my talking point for me to be able to say what I believe and how I believe we business owners can make an impact. And that's my word is impact. See, 
if there are 5.3 million businesses in the United States which employ people, there's 30 million small businesses under $5 million in revenue, but there's 5.3 of us that actually employ people. That means we're responsible for a lot of house payments and car payments and mouths that we feed as business owners. And I believe that we are better at controlling our destiny than a bank, than an insurance company, and definitely than Wall Street. I believe that with every fiber of my being. But as we're growing our business, we need help. As I was growing my business, I needed help. And as I would look out to see people who I could hire to help me, most of these people who had the knowledge to help me were working with what's called the middle market. That's those in, those, those companies that produce between 10 to $100 million of revenue. And there's 320,000 middle market companies in the United States. So I realized that there was knowledge out there that could help me grow my business and make it profitable and scalable and sustainable and transferable and all these bulls that we talk about. So I began researching. I'm a research nerd, right? So I began studying. Look, Vinny, I've been reading a book a week since I was 16 years of age. I've read a lot of books. And I have this really cool memory. It allows me to almost quote a lot of things on these books. So as I began studying and realizing that, hey, we business owners have a unique opportunity. We can double our net worth every three to five years. Employees can't do that. Not often. Investors can. But we business owners can do that. But we carry a lot of weight. We carry a lot of stress. We're out with a lot of risk versus the reward that we get in the early days. So I began talking this way. I began a podcast called The Financially Simple Experience. I began a blog. And that led to a lot of national presence. It led to a lot of people saying, hey, this guy talks like me. This guy thinks like me. I mean, I love real estate. I love real estate. I've had up to 40 properties at one time. Tell me a stockbroker out there that can say that. They can't. Tell me a stockbroker who can talk to me about what it's like to have to fire somebody. Many times they can't. So I began talking this way, Vinny, and, and then I began publishing. I've written two books now, The Ultimate Sale, which talks about that we business owners need to think about our key customer. And our key customer is not what so many marketing firms say. It's not the person that we do deliver goods and services to every day. The key customer is the person who's one day going to buy our business. We need to think about that individual. So I wrote about that in The Ultimate Sale, the process to which we go through when we sell a business. Get I've already sold three businesses. I know what it's like. I may be selling more in the future. I know what they're going to have, what happens if that ever happens. So then I said, you know, it's one thing to know how to sell it, but how do I build a business that is valuable, that somebody else is willing to pay me money for? Remember, if 80% of my net worth is my business, then I have a nice balance sheet. I have a nice network network statement, but it's highly illiquid. How am I going to move myself from a position of illiquidity to liquidity? Well, in order to do that, I've got to build a business that I'm not operating at the epicenter of the business. I've got to build a, as Robert Kiyosaki says, a true business to which provides me income without me having to show up to go to work. That's the allure, if you will, of a passive real estate is that we can get income without having to go to work every day. But business can do the same thing and actually provide you a greater, a greater return oftentimes than real estate can. So I wrote my second book, my newest one called Your Baby's Ugly, which talks about how we can, as business owners, can grow our values of our business to make them where they are, scalable, profitable, transferable, reliable, all these things. I've wrote about that in my book. So through this journey from 2009 to present, I watched this, this education through credentialing, through self-study, through application real times, tens of thousands of hours spent with business owners saying this will work or this will not. 
And I realized that we all have a common problem. And that is, as business owners, we find ourselves putting out fires. Doesn't matter the revenue. We find ourselves many times as the linchpin in the day-to-day operations. And the only way that we're going to truly receive the value for our business is to build a business that is transferable, that we're not the epicenter. So that's where I launched the three brands. And that's how these three brands operate today is to teach, coach, and grow business owners' value and net worth. How do you divide your time through the different businesses and kind of checking up on them and kind of pushing them forward? Ooh, good question. Um, so I have a team that, that controls my schedule. I block out Mondays and Fridays for Mondays is typically business where it's operational efficiency for the week and structuring where the team reports to me what's happening on Mondays. Mondays is also the time where I do podcast interviews, things of this nature, because as you can imagine, I get I get a lot, a lot of requests for podcasts. Um, Fridays is whenever I travel, I speak a lot. As you and I were talking before we came on, I was speaking to a group of CPAs and attorneys in your hometown, San Diego, about three weeks ago. So Fridays and the weekends when I speak. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is whenever I'm personally on the ground, watching the structure of the business, helping the team. But I've almost got it now. In fact, um, this last quarter, uh, last quarter of the year, Q3 of this year, 2021, I think I was only in office for about three weeks of the 16 weeks available. We traveled, um, spent some time hunting in the woods in Idaho. So I, I try to relate my business to where they can truly operate without me being there. Let's say we're talking in five years from now, right? We underestimate what we can do in five years. What's your time frame allotment going to be at that time? What's your business going to look like? How much time are you going to spend in the different avenues then? I hope in the next five years I've sold these three businesses. Okay. I hope that happens. I hope in the next five years that um, the next chapter of my life is spent mostly on stage and teaching people how to do what I've done. Um, I know my net worth. I don't need to make any more money in terms of trying to make money. You know, it's um, we all reach try to try to reach a point to where we need to get a certain amount of money to fulfill our long term obligations or desires and been able to accomplish that. So I'm not in, I'm not interested in, in money anymore in terms of trying to attain more. It's now more about trying to pass on knowledge. You see, I, I, this is a core belief of, of mine. Now, I'm, I'm mid 40s. I'm young, I think, in the terms of the business world, but I've been doing this a long time. And I, I think any one of the saddest places to me is a cemetery. And it's not the fact that somebody's died. I think that's just a, uh, that's life. You know, we live and then we go. But the fact that so many people die without their story being known or or without passing on the wisdom, wisdom is knowledge applied, without passing on the knowledge they've applied in their lives and teaching those beneath them or teaching those who are yet to walk through those journeys. At the age of 40, I've experienced a lot of things. There's nothing in business that can be experienced that I haven't experienced at this point that I'm aware of. And so I'm at the point where if I can impact, that's my personal mission word. If I can impact as many people as possible, I want to do that. So in the next five years, I see me speaking consistently on stage, on podcasts, um, on TV like I do now. I see me writing some more books. I have a few more books in my head that I want to get out. Um, I see spending more time with my children, my family, the more so than I ever have. We know the hustle, right? It's a grind, man. And I feel like I've been a great business person. I've been a lousy husband and a lousy father. Um, for the sake of money. And that's just not the way it's meant to be. And so I see my time over the next five years free, freeing up significantly. 
when did that self-realization come come about that you felt that you were a, a, a bad father? I said lousy. <laughs> oh, lousy <laughs> lousy father. <laughs> um, my daughter's 16. She has yeah. two years left at the house before she goes to college. Um, I know the amount of time that I spend. I think it, I think that all of us would agree if we're if we truly self-assessed that many of us are lousy parents because if they're truly, I mean, think about it. Whenever we die one day, who's going to be around us? It's not be our clients or our customers or our vendors. Mm -hmm. It's going to be our family. And if we're very truthful, the people that we love the most are often the ones we spend the least amount of time and invest the most time with. And so that's why I say I'm lousy. I want to I want to change that. I want to spend and invest more of my time in those whom I love the most. And does that make sense? No, it makes it makes sense. And I think it's it's a tough realization when we self-realize things, especially that close to us. And was that something? that was learned over time or was it something that hit you with like a ton of bricks and you're just like, I need to take a step back or. Yeah. And um, yes. And yes. Right. <laughs> so yes. And the fact that I watched my kids, I can, I, I look, turn around there now. She's 16. Holy cow. Where did the time go? I mean, this is a little girl. I mean, for those of us who have children, I mean, this is a little girl who used to hide her daddy's neck and snook, right. And used to come running to meet you at the door. Now she like just looks at me, <laughs> but um Mom, so this last this year, my wife and I both had COVID and um, we were both young and healthy. I'd say we're healthy. We've never had any health issues in our life. It hit me like a ton of bricks, Benny. I had two weeks where I had 104, 105 degree temperature. I thought my eyeballs were burning out of my head with COVID and slept in an ice bath consistently trying to get my temperature down. My wife had it. She lost her taste. No big deal. No big deal. Until about a month later, she started having bruises all over her body because of COVID. It fast forward after about six weeks in the hospital, tons of tests. When the doctor said, hey, we got to do a high risk surgery. Either you're going to end up having to have some some drugs in your body and you may make it to 60 or you need to have surgery and you may pass away during surgery. And then watching my wife, who is my best friend, the love of my life. And I, I don't say that lightly. She is everything to me. She is. I've married up, man. Watching her say goodbye to her kids the night before surgery, Vinny, is something that no one, no one should ever have to do. And with the realization that though I have a lot of great clients, I love them deeply, many, many, many people that we help. And a lot of, and I've got a team that is phenomenal, that support me, that are in lockstep driving to the mission that we have. None of that mattered that moment, man. Mm. And so, yes, it was a realization gradually, and there's also a ton of bricks saying that, man, tempest fugit, Latin term for time is fleeting, time flies, and we're not promised tomorrow. And so I've invested a lot of my time into business, a lot of my time into education, a lot of my time into helping others succeed, and we've been rewarded. So now I want to spend a little bit more time helping my family succeed, creating memories that will last a lifetime. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's so powerful. I think a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of people listening probably go to that stuff of that, that balance. And uh, yeah, if and I'll finish off with this question. If you could look back at that, that young kid that was just starting the landscaping business, what advice do you think you'd give him in building a better brand? Wow. Okay. Um, 
have a lot of advice that I would say. <laughs> so I've written about all these on the books and I, you can check out the Financial Simple podcast. Uh, the blog has about 1400 articles or so on there. In fact, if you find a topic that we haven't written about, let me know. Reach out to us through social media. My team will let us know. We'll shoot a video on it. We're, we're on TikTok, and YouTube and everywhere else out there. Um, in business, if we're going to be business owners and we're creating a brand, ultimately the client, the, ultimately the person who matters most is the individual or company that will one day buy your brand now. The day you start your business, or if you didn't, haven't done this as of now, today, build an exit plan. Hmm. Build an exit plan. 80% of business owners want to sell, who can sell right now in the next 10 years, and only 4%, 4% of business owners who ever sell are happy after they sell. And the reason for that is they never developed a plan to provide them maximum value. See, as a business owner, we get so built into the machine that the business becomes our identity, which is why I said, your baby's ugly. It's our book. It's our, it's our business. And someone, how dare an investor come in and say, your baby, your business is ugly. We don't want it. And that's what happens day in, day out. And what happens to business owners is we, we strive so hard in the initial phase of our business to, to grow a business, to provide food for our table. And then we start creeping our incomes up in our business. And then we start playing with the tax code. And we have a good tax advisor that says, hey, pay yourself on through the business and get a deduction. And we start doing various things like that. And then we one day go to sell. And we say, man, we're used to making 200 or 300 or 500 or a million dollars a year out of our business, but it can only sell for pennies on the dollar. And then when we get that cash, we realize, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to have a 25% return on my money in order to pay my same lifestyle. That's backwards. So my biggest advice would be is where do you want to be? You asked me the question of Justin, where do you see yourself in five years? I think it was Ogmandino who said where you'll be five years from now is determined by the books and the people, the books you read and the people you associate with. Where do we want to be in five years? Do you see yourself operating that business in the same fashion as you today? If not, what are you going to do to change it today? And Remember that business, the ultimate sale, the time when business makes the most sense is whenever opportunity and timing parallel to where now you can take this highly illiquid asset that's been providing you a substantial income and turn it into a liquid asset that can maintain that income. The only way you're going to do that is with an exit plan. The only way you're going to build an exit plan is to walk through the value creation process, understand what, what makes a company valuable to someone who's willing to buy it from you. Not what you think makes it valuable. What makes it valuable to someone you wish. So, man, if I were 15, if I were talking about 15 year old self today and I was talking about business, I'd say write an exit plan, figure out what valuation means, then get you a coach. Just like every professional athlete out there, get you somebody that's going to yell at you and scream at you and kick you in the butt and tell you, get, on, get off your sorry button, let's go. Get you somebody that should hold you accountable to your dreams. You'll never regret it. Well, thank you, Justin, uh, for being here. I mean, there's a, a massive amount of uh, nuggets that uh, Justin threw out the end. Go get his podcast. Get one of his books or get both of his books. All his information is in the, the show notes right there. So reach out to him if you're looking to, to grow your brand and, and sell your business one day. I appreciate you, Justin, so much for, for being on this podcast. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.